This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the UBS Global Research Pod Hub, a channel that shares insights from economists, strategists, and equity analysts on the pivotal questions and events shaping today's markets. My name is Kat Gordon, and I head up the U.S. ESG and Energy Specialty Sales Effort here at UBS, and I am joined by Shanur Shuni, head of America's ESG Research. In this episode, we are taking a high-level look at our flagship EV charging infrastructure research note titled A 60 Billion Opportunity. This playbook note was in collaboration with Shanur, as well as 10 UBS research analysts, to cover every industry, soup to nuts, across the charging infrastructure and EV world, including automation, reshoring, installers, utilities, machinery, and providers. Schnur, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Kat. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Doing well. Great to hear. Let's jump right into it, shall we? Why do you think infrastructure charging is a $60 billion opportunity? We've seen a ton of EVs on the road. They're becoming more and more popular that are out there. Um, but at this point right now, they represent about half a percent of total installed car base. In other words, 99.5% of the cars that are out there right now are really gasoline uh, engine type vehicles. Um, and while there's definitely been demand for it and there's been talk about, you know, wait times to get cars and so forth in parts of 2021 and 2022, um, the reality is, is that there's quite a few consumers out there, um, that have not gone the, gone along the ways of adopting EVs. And one of the big reasons, uh, as a result of that or, or why they're not doing that is really comes down to what we like to call range anxiety. Um, range anxiety can come from, um, you know, the, the battery side as well as the charging infrastructure network as well too. And so you've had a bunch of legislation or three key pieces or three key acts that have been passed recently. Um, the, the one that everybody seems to know about or the most popular one that's out there is the Inflation Reduction Act, um, which had credits to support the demand for EVs, including um, credits on the purchase price. There's also used car credits as well. Also, um, there are actually battery assembly credits in there as well, too, which should help um, bring infrastructure into the U.S. as well also. Um, but also in the JOBS Act, there was another $7.5 billion that was allocated for helping build out the charging infrastructure network. And, you know, recently the White House actually just talked about um, you know, moving forward with that as well also. And so when you sort of put it together, we're, we're, we're starting to get this flywheel spinning, um, on the charging infrastructure side. And, and that's kind of the key point of addressing a lot of the, the consumer opportunities that are out there. The other thing to think about is that if I'm going to, you know, hypothetically invest in a charging infrastructure um, unit uh, facility and so forth. Um, it's about the IRRs that that are out there. And obviously, the more cars that I have out there, the more utilization I have, um, you know, the better the economics on it. And obviously, the credit supports are out there as well, too. Um, you know, one thing I forgot to mention in terms of the, the support that's out there, it's not just the federal support, right? We talk about the CHIPS Act, the JOBS Act, and the IRA, but each of the states or most of the states have programs as well, including my home state, um, that 
help support these networks as well too. And so I think we're kind of at the point where there's starting to be a decent amount of cars on the road. As I said, we're at about a half a percent. Um, you've got support so that we can continue at least the pace, if not more, uh, in terms of units hitting the road as well too. And now we have support on the charging side as well also. And so I do think that the flywheel is starting to spin faster and faster at this point right now. So what does that all mean? Why did, why is it $60 billion? Um, you know, so really to answer your first question uh, or, or your original question is we have about 130,000 chargers, charging stations outside the U.S. right now or, or within the U.S. right now. It's a mix of what we call level two and level three or level two and DC fast. Um, level two are the ones that take multiple hours to charge your car um, reasonably quickly, um, but, you know, probably in the six to eight hour range, uh, whereas the DC faster, sometimes known as the superchargers, the level threes and so forth. And 96% of the units that are out there are currently the, the level twos. Um, with this expansion um, as a result of the credits and so forth, um, you know, we do see that the opportunity that this could, you know, rise up to 500,000 chargers potentially by 2030. Um, that's one of the White House's goals. Depending on the mix of chargers that are going to be installed, uh, you know, between level three and level two, um, you know, the range is between 53 billion on the low side and 63 billion um, on, on the on the upside. Now, I would point out that this is a target for 2030. In 2030, based on our forecasts, we're only expecting 19% of the cars um, that are out there to be EVs. You know, in other words, 81% is still going to be ICE engines. So obviously, you're going to be needing more and more chargers down the road as well also. You mentioned a few times in your opening remarks, um, essentially implying that the flywheel is starting to spin faster. Could you perhaps unpack that a bit more? Sure. So it, it's kind of a chicken and an egg scenario, right? Um, I don't want to buy the EV because I'm afraid I can't charge it. Um, I have range anxiety. Um, I don't want to build the charging network because there's not enough cars out there, right? And so you kind of have had this stalemate the whole time. So you've had some early adopters. Um, you know, in some cases, uh, it was a second car. Um, it was a car used for commuting purposes where they knew that the, the round trip was, was shorter and so forth. Um, but you've had a major EV company out there that started to build networks that sort of help their customers um, be able to move. And you're starting to see it happen more and more. And so as I have a little bit more demand, I then have a little bit more demand and willingness for charging infrastructure. Um, if we waited without any support, it would take continue to take some time for that to start, you know, the snowball rolling down the hill. Um, with the support at the state levels, with the support by the Jobs Act, um, you now have the opportunity to take, let's say, a three or four percent IRR and make it a ten percent IRR um, because you obviously have this types of support, and so it starts the flywheel spinning faster. And now, if people see more charging stations, then they start to feel more comfortable buying more cars. We start buying more cars. I start needing some more charging stations, and so that's really how the flywheel. Is, is starting to move, you know, we're, we're no longer talking about a couple hundred thousand cars. You know, we're talking about, you know, is it two million? Is it three million cars? Uh, and so forth. And so that's why the flywheel is starting to spin faster. And that is why with the support that's out there right now, um, and where we're at, you know, we're talking about this, this opportunity, um, you know, especially with the suite of legislation that has been passed over the last two years. When I was reading your report, you had mentioned that charging stations 
could help solve the battery problem too. Could you please expand upon that? Sure. Okay. So first, let's talk about the the challenge with batteries.、Um, as, I, as I sort of mentioned before, with respect to batteries,、um, you know, people want a longer and longer charge on it because they're concerned about where the next charging station is, right?、Um, and Part of that problem is、oh, so sure. Why not just build the bigger batteries?、Um, the issue is is that we need lithium and we need lithium cathodes、um, to make that happen. And if you look at the supply demand balance of the lithium right now,、um, there's just not enough、uh, there to support it. Now, obviously, with what's going on and with the growth that's out there, there's obviously a lot of incentive to open up and expand existing lithium capacity and so forth. But the other interesting thing is, is you have to sort of unpack why do people want the bigger battery? They want the bigger battery because they're afraid of running out of a charge.、Um, do they really need a battery that can run for 500 miles or even 600 miles?、Um, the answer is, is if I have multiple charging stations, then I don't. And so the point is, is that if we focus on the charging stations, is helping to resolve. The range anxiety problem. I take away the need for larger batteries. If I have smaller batteries, I run into less of an issue on the lithium supply side, and so it'll actually potentially create scenarios where we make really small cars, like for for commuting purposes and so forth. And so I think it will help a the adoption and b it will help you know contribute towards solving、um, the battery size issue as well. Also. That makes a lot of sense, but the the top question that I tend to get from investors is: Can the U.S. grid handle the EV adoption and increased charging infrastructure that you just touched on? We're going to need investment. There's no question about that.、Um, when we've been talking to our utility analysts about that, the issues that they tend to focus on the most, or where they think the biggest choke point problems are going to be, is really on fleet vehicles that return to base every day. So that's your, you know, the company that has a huge warehouse that sends out a bunch of cars for delivery every day. Comes back and all of them, not cars, but you know, small trucks as well. Also, comes back and needs to charge, and the, you're hitting the grid、um, all at once, basically.、Um, you know, that's where they feel that there's going to be some of the bigger issues.、Um, you know, building out networks, they're they're not going to end up owning the charging stations. It's going to be an investor or somebody else that owns the charging station themselves. But you got to bring the power to them as well, too. I mean, they're bringing power to. To local neighborhoods all the time at this point right now. Will there be opportunities for upgrades and opportunities to increase rate base? Absolutely. When you have you know urban oper- you know urban centers that are you know highly populated, like extremely highly populated, with people who live in buildings. I mean, those are the ones that are probably going to not necessarily being able to charge at night in their garage,、uh, like people who live in you know urban you know suburban areas.、Um, they're going to be going to stations and so forth, and and we can bring we can bring that to them. It's going to involve investment.、Um, it would certainly help if. There was some permitting relief in some of the areas as well too to be able to wheel power, but you know those issues tend to really focus on moving power from state to state rather than at the individual level. So the short answer to the question is,、um, it's definitely going to be a rate-based opportunity for utilities.、Uh, they're definitely going to be investing in it as well. Also,、um, it can be done. We've done this before. The bigger question is going to be really where. You know, a major company with a huge logistics operation sets up a big warehouse and expects to have all these cars come back and forth, these trucks come back and forth one time a day and just hit the grid at once. Like that starts to be, you know, 
I, I don't want to let your imagination run wild, but do you need to build a power plant literally right next door to be able to handle that? Do we need to think about, you know, some creative storage situations where you're collecting the power throughout the day and you have it available um, and, and so forth? But these are things that we've solved in the U.S. in the past. What about the auto supply chain? Is that capable of handling the demand? The auto supply chain is going to be an issue um, that just sort of follows what's going with the regular economy as well also. Um, you know, obviously parts are going to be needed and so forth. Uh, we've obviously had some issues. Um, you know, you know, it's not just the auto chain. It's, it's kind of everywhere. So as you resolve everything, you're sort of resolving the, um, the EV side as well too. Um, what I would say is that these cars are obviously more complex, more chips, um, a lot of these suppliers, for example, talk about how, you know, you have traditional suppliers who sell components into traditional ICE engines as well as into the, the EVs as well also. And the profit margin is twice as much on an EV because there's a lot more components and electrical um, aspects to it, software aspects to it and so forth. So it's just going to, my guess is that it would sort of trend along with the rest of them. Now, you mentioned lithium earlier. Like in terms of the lithium outlook, is there enough supply? So the short answer right now is no. Um, can we handle what's out there today? Yes. Um, but we're talking about projections of, of growing. And so we're actually forecasting the lithium market to be in deficit. Uh, we do think that, you know, the... As we always say in the commodities world, the cure to high prices is high prices, um, and the cure to low prices is low prices. And so you're getting signals that will result in investment is is kind of key. Um, one thing that people do talk about is they're worried about the lithium, but it's also an interesting thing to think about is where the lithium is actually refined as well, too. So most of the lithium comes from outside of China, but 95% of the lithium is actually refined in China. And I know this wasn't exactly the question that you were asking, but I do think it's an important piece of information is that, you know, with the Inflation Reduction Act, some of the credits about battery assembly um, needs to be and occur in the U.S. And it sort of scales up over time. We're still waiting for some final clarifications from um, the U.S. Treasury. Uh, but the point is we're going to have to move some refining capacity to the U.S. as well, too. So that could create some hiccups along the way also, because... Um, if you want to qualify uh, for the for the battery assembly incentives, you you sort of need to move that chain uh, to the U.S. as well too over the next couple of years, and that might be difficult to actually hit the timelines to follow the um, the step ups and the credits and so forth. So, um, long answer to your question, but that's sort of kind of the update on the lithium supply side. That was really helpful and and an interesting point that you just made. Do you think this is understood by investors? I hope so. Um, I mean, we did try to lay this out inside the report. Um, we do we do get enough questions, um, and our analysts get enough questions about the um, the lithium supply situation. Uh, that that the question is definitely out there. People do talk about it. Remember, there's a lot of people who um, skeptical about the the adoption, will it become part of the whole market and so forth? So I do think it's a discussion point that that's definitely out there. Um, I think what the, I would flip it the other way is, do they realize that there's a potential to solve it? Um, and I'm not a hundred percent sure about that, just based on the fact that we continue to get the questions the other way. And, and to be fair, they're fair questions because, you know, we are forecasting a deficit. I mean, the, the chart's pretty clear in our note. You mentioned the IRA credits. 
You think there is a risk to recognizing those credits? I mean, the short answer is,、um, or maybe let me rephrase your question a little bit.、Um, you know, what if we have a change in administration? What happens, right?、Um, so the short answer is, the credits are out there.、Um, You know, we're getting the clarifications out there. Some of the heavier vehicles are are being、uh, put into place.、Um, most of the IRA credits, in general,、um, are uncapped,、um, and so you know, with the current change in the Congress,、um, it's not like President Biden is going to sign、uh, something that overturns his current legislation and so forth.、Um, what I would say is, and I think this is important for most people to realize, is that、um, you know, most people actually. Have views、uh, around climate change that we do need to reduce our emissions. They have varying opinions on how to do it,、um, where to do it, how to go about it, and so forth.、Um, they also have expectations that are different about you know when the impact is going to hit the most and so forth. But it crosses the political lines, and I don't think that's something that people、um, definitely realize. Both Republicans and Democrats,、um, you know, have those views. And so, what I would say is, is that what's interesting about how the IRA is constructed, it's it's actually a uniquely American act. And I think we talked about this in our last Spotify,、um, you know, discussion, is that the IRA is. Got credits? They're uncapped. It's not about the U.S. government handing over money to people to actually go and invest.、Um, that's where we start to get into real political differences. This is more about putting incentives in the hands of CEOs, CFOs to go make capital investments and ones that have returns. Shanur, you just mentioned the prior podcast we did on the IRA. I just wanted to mention to all our listeners that that is available on our. Um, Spotify directory, and、um, I would highly encourage you to listen to it because there was a lot of great insights in that podcast as well. Thanks so much, Shanur, for sharing all your insights on the EV charging infrastructure report. We wanted to keep this high level,、uh, but for key stock beneficiaries, please feel free to request a copy of the report by reaching out to myself at Catherine.Gordon@UBS.com. Or Shanur Gershuni at UBS.com. Also, if you have any specific questions or want to unpack anything we discussed in more detail, please feel free to reach out to us. And be sure to tune in again for more investment insights. Thank you for visiting the UBS Research Pod Hub, and we hope you tune in again soon. This content has been prepared by UBS AG, its subsidiaries and/or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content and has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives. And receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regular. Or tax purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written. Permission. Copyright UBS 2023. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS. All rights reserved.